So I just want to get us started here. We will spend about one hour and we'll, we'll cut off. We'll start on time and we're going to end on time as well. Uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. Um, and uh, we're going to be covering the fundamentals to getting uh, your, your dream job. So we'll be covering um, resume and cover letters, application best practices, interviewing tips and tricks. And then after we cover those topics, we'll be opening it up to questions that we gather through the questions channel, as well as opening it up to people to um, just have some live discourse with us and the, the rest of the panel. So we have a wonderful panel today with us. We have Cassidy, uh, Mike, Mike S, Mike M, and myself, Bebo. If you want to read our introduction or our biographies, they're in that resources channel and get to know us a little bit better. Just how this is going to work today, it's a stage, so as you can see, you're just listening. And so if you want to interact with us, we encourage you to use that discussion channel. Um, and then if you have a question that you would like us to address, please post that in the questions channel. Please don't uh, answer questions in the questions channel. I know it's hard to, to refrain from that, but uh, we just want to keep that channel clean so that we can put all of your good questions in um, a document for us to get to once we open it up to questions. And so we'll jump right into it. We're going to start with resume and cover letters. Uh, and so I'm just gonna just open it up to the rest of the panel and ask them, what, what are the things that you wanna see when you're hiring others? What, are you, what do you wanna see from uh, resumes that you're going through? I can start. Um, so, hi everybody. I'm Cassidy. I work at Netlify and I've worked at a few different other places too. Um, and I've been on both sides of the hiring table a, a few different times. And uh, again, our, our bios are in the resources section. But when I'm looking at resumes, um, I do try to just get through it as quick as possible because typically when you are working at a place and, and you open up a job rec there's quite a few applications that come through and so i tend to kind of give some very high level tips for what i look for on a resume first of all i want i want to be able to see your name a lot of people make their names really small on the resume and so i end up forgetting whose name it was and i remember other things about the resume so make your name bigger it's very, very minor, but th that is something that, that is important. Um, also, remove irrelevant information. If I'm sure if you are doing some kind of career transition, like you, you've done other roles in the past, but either remove irrelevant information or make it really, really small. Because if, let's just say you did, I don't know, if you're going into coding, but you are transitioning from a marketing role, or you did lifeguarding in high school, or, or so something else, I don't need to know about that. I just need to know what you can code and, and what your skills are relevant to the role. And so get rid of the stuff that, that's particularly irrelevant. And also, in general, don't make it a scavenger hunt. I don't want to have to look all over just to get the relevant details that I need. Um, so if you have online profiles like your GitHub or your LinkedIn, Twitter, your personal website, anything like that, try to have them at the top or in some kind of obvious place so I can so I can look you up. But otherwise, I just want it to be easy to figure out who you are and what you know uh, at a glance, because a lot of times when I've worked with uh, recruiters to look at resumes, they're really, really quick. And they'll look at it and after about 10 seconds say, OK, this person's not relevant. OK, this person might be good. What do you think? And like they, they go at it really, really fast. And then I get to look a little bit more in detail. And so you want to make it snappy enough where there's not full, full paragraphs of here's all of the details of everything that I did and I utilized Synergy in multiple applications for tons of users. You don't need all those buzzwords. Just kind of be specific in saying, this is the technology that I used, this is the change that I made, and then you can always add more details in your cover letter if you feel like you need to flesh those out. That, that's a great, yeah, that, that's really great. I agree with all of that. I, I think, and I'll just kind of say the same thing more or less in my own words briefly in that the resume is a tool and the tool is to communicate broadly 
what you're capable of professionally and and what you're looking for and there's a few different ways of doing that but one of the best strategies is to remove the things that don't accomplish that so removing um the anecdote of your your high school swim team and um how you whatever you you won the state championship maybe that's good to include but don't include the whole story behind it don't include the at my internship at the software job i then paragraph long story about how you did something in wordpress but saying optimizing site with wordpress i, I think word economy is really important so um just editing and cutting things down that don't need to be there that's that's an art writing and then on the other side i having read thousands of resumes having something that does set you aside that isn't just work and if it's um that you like to enter juggling tournaments if you're a triathlete if you um <laughs> are whatever thing that makes you passionate that you put a lot of time into that can be like five words at the bottom of your resume or eagle scout um so so there is room for yourself and your personality but not a lot of room and and i think word economy is really important and um what cassidy said about having the recruiter who's going to spend 10 seconds looking at your resume make it really easy for them think about them having they're looking at resume upon resume upon resume make it make the information there make your name really big make the job you're looking for the type of skills that you have apparent and it's sort of your job to communicate quickly what you can do and then um also to have some personality in it as well but not have paragraphs and paragraphs. Yeah, I just want to jump off. Micros just ended with communicate. And I think that that's the key to resumes. In general, you'll have a job posting that outlines what the recruiter or the HR group or the hiring manager is looking for. And what you want to do is use that to your benefit. So, you, so Cassie talked about irrelevant skills and, and jobs in her highlight and uh, that that's where the irrelevancy comes in so if you're applying to a job um, then you need to look at what the job posting is asking for and then curate your resume to fit what they're asking for and so kaios asks is it more beneficial to showcase that you've worked with a lot of different languages and technologies or show more proficiency in fewer and I'm going to answer that question with it depends. And so this is where you need to do some audience analysis and look at the job posting, see what they're asking, and then configure your resume to fit what they're looking for. And so if the job posting is asking for proficiency in one language, then list the projects and job experiences that fit that, that uh, requirement. If, there, if it's a more general job posting, then show the fact that you're a jack of all trades and that you can learn quickly. Yeah, and I was gonna say that as well. The, um, uh, what everybody has been echoing so far is that, you know, brevity, brevity is a, is a, and, and conciseness is really kind of important whenever I like to look at a resume. You know, I've gotten resumes that are, um, you know, one, one page and my resume after, Christ, how long have I been in the in the industry? Maybe fifteen years. My resume is still one page long, um, but if I were to, you know, apply to a position that, you know, maybe maybe I need to bubble up some skills that that are more relevant to that job posting, as Bebo said, um, I, I would do that. I would kind of reorganize, you know, even on my one page resume, what I have that matches that job description, and so, you know, I it, it on the other side of it, you know, as somebody who vets resumes and goes through them like I don't want to I don't want to take your 17 page resume and have to dig the whole way to the bottom to find something that is applicable to the position that we're hiring for so um in a in a you know to echo kind of what everybody else was saying you know keeping things the, the most important and relevant information at the top of your resume or the most important job descriptions or or, or skills or you know things you did at that at that at your previous work 
um, is definitely beneficial for us as people who have to look at the, the resumes and, uh, you know, uh, base, base what we're looking for in the position on what the person is um, offering in their skill set. All right, great. So uh, we have about three to four more minutes on topic uh, on this topic. And so I just wanted to jump to the cover letter. So this seems to be kind of a hot topic. Um, what, what are your all's opinion on the efficacy of cover letters? What are you looking for in a cover letter if you do find it effective um, and any other general information? I'm sorry, Cassidy, go ahead. Oh, no, go for it. I I have very strong opinions on this, and some people might disagree with me, but I think you always, always, always write a cover letter, no matter what. And there might be some roles, some companies that don't read it, but then there's a lot of companies that do. And I know at some companies that I've worked for, people have said, okay, if we have a ton of applications for this one role, let's just filter out all the ones that didn't write a cover letter because the ones who wrote a cover letter put more effort into the application. I don't necessarily agree with that approach, but when you're looking for jobs, you never know who might be looking at the other end. And so a cover letter is something that I think is just important to include. And it doesn't have to be a super detailed, fleshed out thing. It can really just be like, hey, I hope your day's going well. This is my name. Currently I do this and I'm interested in your role that you've listed on the website. I like what you do, blah, blah, blah. Let me know if you need anything from me. It can be short like that, or it can be an opportunity to explain things that your resume doesn't. And so, for example, there was once uh, an application that I got where when I looked at their resume, I almost put it away because I was just like, eh, you know, they, their title doesn't seem very relevant to the role. Some of their skills on here don't seem very relevant, but I read their cover letter anyway. And then their cover letter went into detail saying, just so you know, this is what my job title is and this is the technologies that I use, but it's not really representative of what I actually do day to day. And then he went into detail about why his current work experience was actually relevant towards uh, towards the role he was applying for. And it was great. And he ended up going through the interview process as a result. And so you never know when that might be the case. And so first of all, if you have something that needs to be explained more in detail, definitely have a cover letter. But if it doesn't need to be, you can just write a nice short one just to show that you put some effort into the application. Jumping on that, I think with cover letters, um, yeah, obviously it's it's better to do it. It's better to do it well. And also um, just dissecting the idea a little bit. Well, okay, a cover letter, it's a, a letter, a letter you are communicating with someone. You're communicating with someone to build a professional relationship with them. And I think that's the most important part of the get the job process and being transitioned from development to more general entrepreneurship right do development and also sales relationship building is one of the core components of how to do sales and when you're seeking a job you're someone's buying something someone's selling something you're building a professional relationship you're selling your labor the company is selling money and equity to you and selling themselves over someone else. So the most important thing is that you're communicating with them that there's someone you're building trust between them. And I think cover letter is the most most small possible step towards having a strong relationship where you're talking to the hiring managers, you're talking to your new colleagues and talking about what it's like to work there, why you want to work there. And I think keeping that big picture in mind, once you do, it's it's really obvious that cover letter is just the the least that you can do. And it's just the start of really building a relationship of essentially selling the idea of you working at that company. All right. So we have a couple of questions. Hopefully we'll be able to jump back to them at the end. But for now, I'd like to move on to our next topic, which is applying for a job. And so when you when when you get your resume uh, template kind of created, you got the, the majority of your stuff written down and you're ready to start looking for jobs, I think it's important to stop, take a step back, and do some self-introspect 
self-introspection. So what are the goals that you're trying to get out of this new job? And this might be more relevant for people who are further in their career and aren't just looking for any job to to make ends meet. Uh, But I think that it can be applicable for everyone. Because if you take a step back before you start applying for jobs, you're a lot more objective. And so define what are your must-haves and what are your nice-to-haves. Like, do you want to be able to uh, commute, uh, you know, at most an hour? Do you have to have remote? Do they have to have a specific amount of vacation time or a specific benefit? Get all of those questions answered before you start applying for jobs, and that will help you make decisions when you get start getting your offers in. I, I think what you mentioned about getting getting those details ironed out at the start is a is a really kind of a, a beneficial point to make because even even as somebody who has you know been been doing this and you know I personally like my job I want to stay there but um, I, I do get reached out uh, on on LinkedIn by recruiters from other companies who say oh hey you know you look like you'd be a fit for this position but then they don't really list any of those kind of minute details that you know, I feel would be important to me. Like they, they're, they're coy about the, about the, the, the time off and the benefits and the salary range and things like that. And to me, like I, I, that, that's a bit of a red flag to me because I like to know, you know, going into what I'm applying for that this is actually going to be, you know, a fit for both myself and for the company. Like I don't want either side to waste their time. So I, I want to, I want to know those details at the forefront and, and it, it, it helps me make that decision. Okay, like I want to, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to apply for this company because it matches what I'm looking for already. And then, you know, let the rest of the interview process go from there. I think I'm ready to move on to the jobs are numbers game topic, just because I think that it's relevant to this, but I don't want to completely derail everything if we aren't ready for it. <laughs> no, let, let, let's jump off let's to the numbers ready. game. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. So I agree that you should know what you want in a role. Uh, you, you should know that you want this type of work-life balance. You, you want to work with this kind of tech stack, this type of team, that sort of thing. But especially when you are going towards your first role um, and you just want to get your foot in the industry, that is where the phrase jobs and job applications are a numbers game comes into play. And I think it's very, very important because you don't want to be too picky at first. You just want to get your foot in the door. And so you need to apply all over the place. And sometimes people kind of like grasp their pearls when I say this number, but I think you should probably, when you are job hunting for your first job, be applying for 10 jobs a day, at least, if not more. And it's a large number, but I'd like to explain why. And it's because you never know what the company is thinking or what it could be like. It's it's honestly kind of like entering raffles. If you enter a ton of different raffles, you'll eventually win a prize. And it's very similar to a job because when you are an entry-level developer, unfortunately there's, well, not unfortunately, there's a lot of people applying for those jobs. A lot of people are looking for these kinds of gigs and you never know what the company is doing. They might have, for example, already taken in a bunch of applicants already and so they're interviewing so many people they can't get to everyone they might have decided to change the team so they close the job rec and then they have to open it at a later date you you never know what might be happening on the other end and so sometimes if you don't get a particular role it has nothing to do with you it has to do with what the company is dealing with at any given time and so the only way to really combat that is to just keep applying all over the place And I often tell people that when I was going for my first full-time role, I actually had quite a few job offers. I did have 10 job offers, but that's because I applied to like 200 jobs. I applied to tons and tons and tons of jobs, and I did a lot of interviews, and some of my interviews were absolute trash, and then some of them were better, hence the job offers. Um, But interviewing is a completely separate skill from coding. And so when you are going for these job opportunities and stuff, it's a matter of practice and getting as much experience as you can and getting as many applications out there as you can so that you can land a role. That is my rant for this topic. Yeah, I I agree with that too. It's um, like the, I think whenever I was first finishing my bachelor's degree, uh, I was 22 at the time and I'm, well, I'm originally from Pennsylvania and, and I'm still here, but 
when I finished my bachelor's degree, I'm like, well, I can, you know, I'm young, I can move wherever. And I sent out, I think, 150 uh, applications uh, to different jobs, and they're all over the country, or all over the United States, I should say. Um, you know, Orlando, Austin, Texas, Chicago, San Diego. I applied to like every single thing that I thought might interest me. And tying back to what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation, I had to edit my resume a lot of times for, you know, the different jobs that were looking for different things because they they all wanted, you know, different levels of experience, different different skill sets, that kind of thing. So I had to not only send out all of those applications within those two weeks or or so, but uh, also edit those applications as I was sending them. And I think at the end of the day or end of those that that two to three week sprint of applying, that I only had maybe five to ten. Uh, uh, reaches back out to me to, to say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll talk to you at least on the phone, um, you know, to get your foot in the door, which is, you know, kind of crazy when you really think about it, that it does <laughs> come down to what Cassidy was saying about it being a numbers game. Yeah, I can um, just totally agree with everything you're both saying. And just to add a different flavor or perspective to it, which is, Okay, I want to apply to 100 jobs. I want to apply to 10 jobs a day. How do I do it? What do I do? I'm overwhelmed. That's a big number. Um, so just to give some perspective into how to try to do that, um, a, a few things. Number one, um, just start with a list and build a list of what are ways that I can find companies to apply to. And I think just building that list out LinkedIn, GitHub, um, AngelList, um, there's just lots of broad job resources, Dice.com. Um, so just make that list first off. Um, and then um, another way to help is, okay, I'm going to apply to 10 jobs a day. That's a lot. Um, maybe that uh, maybe some days you find AngelList and you can apply to 10 jobs a day really easily. Maybe on a site like AngelList or Dice or whatever the new site is, you can apply on your first day to 100 jobs. But then the next day you've applied to all those jobs. So what do you do? So maybe the next, the day after that, you have to work really, really hard to find two companies to apply to. And, and that's okay. And a good way to make sense of that and feel good about that is to both say, I'm going to try to apply to 10 jobs a day on average. I'm going to track my progress in a spreadsheet, but also I'm going to work minimum five hours a day on finding a job and thinking about this work and this application as a, a time basis. So you don't get upset when, oh, it took me all day. And I only apply and I didn't apply to any jobs, but when you look at it and you say, oh, I actually spent the day researching what job sites um, I can apply to or signing up for something. And then tomorrow I'm, I'm more able and more capable too. So that's a good trick. And that helps yep. me with my development deadlines too. Yeah, Mike, I just kind of wanted to highlight also just the change of perspective when applying from the perspective of the job seeker versus the employer. You and I were talking about that inverted triangle um, in our previous discussion. And like, it's a numbers game because what a lot, what happens a lot of times is most job seekers are looking for their work from those job postings. So you create a resume, you're using an ad or you're, you're finding it on indeed.com and you're submitting your resume on a job posting. Um, and, and really what the employer is looking for as far as applicants, they're really wanting to look for internal candidates um, or referrals from their existing employees. And so, you know, the, there might be 10 job postings from a company, but they're really looking at internal candidates or um, a networker for, you know, the majority of those job postings. And so um, you really have to consider what, the employer's perspective is, you know, if they have a referral, that's going to carry a lot more weight than um, a stranger who has submitted a, a, a job application on, on indeed.com or LinkedIn. Yep. And, and that's also another aspect of add that to your list, add to your just broad list of, okay, I'm going to 
ask all my friends who I am in this boot camp with or in this college with or my old colleagues who now work at different companies every day I'm gonna just try to send them a text and be like hey we haven't spoken in a while but I'm looking for a job put it out there in in your network that you're you're looking for a job and just be happy grinding and putting in consistent work um, every day or consistently uh, during weekly um, and and it'll come. Yeah, like what I'm doing right now, I, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I'm looking for um, like just a more applicable job. And so I, I'm it's doing a numbers game as well. But what I'm doing is looking at uh, jobs that really speak to me, companies that really fit my culture. And I'm finding those job postings and I'm seeking out who the hiring manager is, trying to connect to them through LinkedIn, seeing if I have any connections within the company that can refer me. Um, because again, those referrals carry a lot more weight than if I were just another resume on a stack. I think this also touches on the point of networking in general. I think yes. in in today's day and age, networking isn't just like schmoozing at cocktail parties and giving out business cards and stuff like it might have been in the past. It's 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 very socially driven. And um, I think as you are job hunting and as you are just moving throughout the industry, building a good network, building a good community with with good relationships is so important because not only can they help you someday, you could probably help someone someday. And uh, the, these kinds of relationships are really important to have. And so we have a really good community here in this Discord channel. But in general, finding a group of people that can have your back when things go wrong, who can refer you to jobs, who you can refer to jobs, and, and having that is, is really, really key. And if you're not entirely sure how to go about this, there's a book that I recommend. Um, and I think Bevo can put that in the resources and I could drop it in the discussion channel as well. But it's called Build Your Dream Network. And it has some really good practical advice that I like to follow when I'm meeting new people and, and trying to build up a network in a given area. And I have posted that link in the resources channel. Thank you for the book recommendation. I'll check it out. So uh, we've hit our 10 minute limit on that. And so I would like for us to transition to our next topic, which is interviewing. So uh, our first set of questions, and we have a lot to cover in this section. And so um, if you do some popcorn kind of quick fire uh, for the, these first few questions, we want to get started with what is the interview process look like? Specifically, what, it, you know, what does it look like for a FANG company? Um, what does it look like for a large, mid-sized startup? Um, what are those differences? Um, cool. Just to get the convo started, um, I... Um, have been hiring some people um, lately for sort of side projects. I'm ramping up into a startup and also for my startup. And when I'm doing it, I'm working pretty informally. Um, and I'll, I'll speak to that in a second. Um, and before that, I was running engineering and helping hire at a large and largely growing ad tech company that also had more of a startup vibe, but by the time um, there I was leaving, there were 500, 700 people um, and a, a looming Oracle acquisition. And so things went from a lot more unstructured to a much more formal process. Um, but it was interesting to see that that transition, that phase change from uh, have the person come in, um, talk to them a bit, get lunch with them, and all the way to, okay, there's this this whole um, detailed and, and elaborate um, process. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, in regards to what, what does the, the process look like, I, I haven't kind of been, it, it's been a few years since I've just been doing informal hiring and and my process lately has been to do sort of an initial screen and see is this person a good fit for the specific task that I'm trying to hire someone for and it was 
most recently an express JavaScript API for authentication and talking to Postgres. And I actually threw that out there in, in the Discord and um, got an amazing amount of responses and just kind of went with one that seemed most specific and solution-oriented and, and eager to help. And then I just said, great, here's the task. Let's just start working together for a week and um, or, or a couple of days. And I just kind of just jumped from um, interview to paid trial really quickly. And this was sort of more of a freelance role. And then after that paid trial, basically I paid them to interview me, interview with me. And then I was like, this is great. Let's keep it going. So that's the process I've been using for sort of informally hiring um, freelancers. And in the past two, I've gone and done that, had, you know, paid for a week's worth of work and been like, this isn't working, but thank you. Um, and that's just the way that I've been going. But maybe Cassidy or Mike, you can speak more to current state of more um, enterprise or larger companies, and we can keep the discussion going from there. Sure. Um, and so it does vary from company to company, typically at the big companies like the Fangs or Fan Mags, I think they're calling them now to include Microsoft in it. I don't know what they are. Anyway, uh, typically at uh, the really large companies, you start the process with some kind of recruiter call. The, uh, the recruiter will figure out, okay, what, what type of role might work? Because at really, really large companies, recruiters tend to work with a lot of different hiring managers. And so one recruiter might be working with 10 different hiring managers or more. And so she or he or they, they are trying to suss out um, who is going to uh, be the best fit for you. Um, which which role will be the best fit for you after sussing out those answers. Um, and then once you do have uh, that call with, with the recruiter, they will um, move you on to speak with a hiring manager of some kind. And then if the hiring manager likes you, you'll move on to technical screens. And when you move on to those technical screens, um, it can vary from team to team. Sometimes if a hiring manager really needs someone or they really like you, they might move you straight into the final rounds of those screens, but more typically there tends to be one or two technical screens and then an on-site. Um, and then that on-site in pandemic times can be very different where um, uh, with, with, with that on-site, uh, it can be fully remote sometimes or spread across a couple days or just one really long day of interviews. Um, but that tends to be much more technical rounds, typical whiteboarding types of interviews, or if it's virtual, um, in some kind of virtual code editor um, where where they're watching you code. And then um, you might have some peer interviews where they, they are asking questions about what you want in a role and stuff. And then that is it. That That is the end. Um, at smaller companies, it doesn't tend to be that... Um, I don't want to say intense because it can be intense. It, it doesn't tend to be that formulaic. It can be it can be very different from company to company and from industry to industry. For example, um, I used to work in artificial intelligence and those interviews were very, very hardcore because they wanted someone with a computer science degree who knew these specific languages, who could do all these specific types of data structures. And then I've worked in other industries where they are much more practical focused and they ask you how in JavaScript, what is the difference between call and apply and bind and specifically explain those. And so it can, it can be as practical or as theoretical uh, as there, as can be. Uh, I don't, I don't even know how to phrase that properly just because it really can vary. Um, at my company, for example, at Netlify, we ha try to keep it as practical and, and not too effort heavy as possible on the person. So we have a hiring manager call uh, after a recruiter call, and then we go straight into the technical call. We actually tell you what the question is ahead of time, so that way you can prepare. And then when you get into the technical call, you do it, and then we go on to uh, a couple team interviews to find out what you like to do, what you've done in the past, and make sure your experience lines up. So that's that's just our example, but it really can vary from super, super practical to very, very theoretical. And unfortunately, there's no one size fits all for that. 
Yeah, and just to hit a couple of questions that I've seen, you know, one of them was asking about what, what do you think about take-home work uh, that it, that's unpaid, where you have coding tests that you need to deliver, projects that you have to deliver to show that you're worth. Oh, that's so common. Luckily, though, I do think that those are becoming less prevalent. So what I've been seeing a lot is people are given the option where you can either do some kind of whiteboarding uh, call or you can do the project and then you decide. And some companies are actually paying you for the projects that you do as well. And so I've had a few interviews myself where they give me a code challenge and then they'll say, whether you get the job or not, we'll give you a hundred bucks for, for doing this project for us. Um, that's yeah, not I'm that common, big, but that's it's nice. happening. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big proponent for paid work and not not doing a lot of unpaid work. And you bring up a good point, the option of doing, you know, whiteboarding versus this project that actually might be kind of inclusive to people who get a lot of anxiety for being in front of people and performing. Uh, th that project take home thing uh, allows them to kind of shine in, in what would be their stronger environment. Yeah. The one the one drawback, I think, with with that is, is you know, when, when you get sent something home, I applied for Amazon years ago, and they, they gave me, similar to what you guys were talking about, they gave me some sort of small project that, uh, you know, to, to uh, build out in whatever language of choice that I wanted to. Um, I, I chose C Sharp at the time, but um, they, they gave me something that I could, I could take back and, and build myself on my own time. But I, I felt, you know, that, you know, I, I could sit there and I could do it and I could do it myself, but I could also, I also had the resources available to me to, to Google through things that, you know, I, I might have got stuck on or struggled on. And I think as, as somebody who, you know, conducts the interviews for the front end interviews, at least for my team now that I, I would rather have the person come in, you know, and this was pre-COVID, but I would rather have the person come in so that we can, you know, I can give them a problem on, you know, to whiteboard out and we can kind of have the conversation at the same time, as opposed to like a siloed effort where, where the the candidate is taking something home and just sending back code, you know. So I like to I like to pull the person in the room and we'll sit there for a couple hours, you know, three to four hours, and we'll talk about their solutions and and their different approaches and why they chose to do something as opposed to, okay, this is a fixed way to do things, you know. Here's the code for it and that's it. You know, I like to kind of go go through their brain a little bit and and pick apart like what their what their uh, process is for you know for deciding what what solution they want to use. Yeah, and that's a great jumping point. Uh, you know, if you are in a in, in an interview, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions about very technical questions, and and really, we just don't have the time to get into the details of that. Uh, if you go to the resources channel and you click on that GitHub link to Cassidy's uh, get a gig, she has a, a very good highlight of kind of what you should ask yourself when you're answering the technical questions, the what, why, how, when, who. And so uh, I would highly recommend you read through that technical section. Um, there was another question um, that posed the, the importance of soft skills. And I kind of want to highlight that for just a few minutes. And so, you know, every interview, you're going to have, they're going to be questions that we call behavioral questions, and they're going to be your technical questions. And I know that this, this community really focuses on the technical question side, because again, that's kind of the, the purpose of the community. But I think being able to answer the behavioral questions in an effective manner will make you stand out uh, amongst the other candidates. And so I linked to resource that uh, was from Indeed talk, talking about the STAR method. And so when when you're given a behavioral question about like, tell me a time when you know you, you had a difficult teammate, you, you want to apply the STAR methodology to your answer. And so you give them a brief example about the situation, tell them about the task that you were working on, and then the A stands for action. And this is really the important part because you want to tell them what you did. Don't talk about the team. Don't talk about your boss. I, I want to hear what you did. So you, all of your pronouns should be I. Um, and then to bring it all together, you want to highlight the result of the action that you took. And 
Um, if you remember star, you'll be able to answer these questions a lot more effectively than if you, uh, you know, didn't have this, the acronym there, to, to the mnemonic to bring in with you. Um, and then pr I would highly encourage you to go out, Google search common behavioral questions, and then honestly just practice uh, answering those and responding to those before you even get into an interview section, uh, a situation so that uh, you know what you're going to say before before it's asked. Yeah, and I, I think that communication that you've been emphasizing is so key to the point where I don't even think that they should be called soft skills anymore. It's more core skills than anything. You should be able to communicate what you can do, what your code does, what what's important to you. Having having those abilities to communicate and empathize with your team and and work well with people is so so important. Uh, to the point where where I I've I've been calling them core skills more and more because they they are so vital to any job. And if you don't interview well technically. Or, or, or your code isn't that great, but you can communicate really well, code can be learned. And and uh, I have seen many times where someone who has been able to present themselves really, really well, even though their code wasn't great, they've gotten the roles because they've been able to explain their thought process as well. They've explained what they don't know, what they do know, how they would go about problem solving a problem, uh, even if they aren't able to do it well right away. That's great, Cassidy. Uh, I, I like how you tied that bow on 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 that topic. I, I uh, see we're at twelve forty three now, and so we're going to switch over from uh, kind of the pre pre decided responses and open it up to questions. And like I said, I wanted to give a shout out to our man Seventeen Bad Burgers who has been working through the questions channel and highlighting what questions we should get through. Um, and so just thank you for your work. It's 2 a.m. in Australia right now. And so he's really, uh, really dedicated to the cause. So uh, the first question really uh, jumps us off into a, a very natural point here. Uh, it's how do you find out if a company is worth working for and has a good culture? And I, I feel like the two things that I spoke about really answer this question. So if you know what you want out of a company, um, then in the interview, make sure you're asking those types of questions from the company. And just like the company to you would ask questions to show action and not just what you should say, I would phrase your questions in a way where the company is providing you proof that they do the types of things. And so instead of, do you value professional development? They're gonna say yes. Rather, instead of asking that question, you should ask, what's the last conference that you went to? Or oh, what is the last professional development um, event that you were able to uh, provide for your employees? Those types of questions are going to be uh, a lot more beneficial than if you were just to ask the general, do you like do you, like the yes and no type questions? Yeah, I absolutely. Does anyone else? I, I was just ahead. going to open it up. Say, so does anyone else have uh, best practices on how to find out if a company is worth working for? Yeah, I I was going to say that I I absolutely agree with you that it's it, it's you know it, not only is it an interview for the candidate, but it's also a candidate's uh, in a way an interview for uh, the company as well. And I feel like it should be on us as the hiring managers or the people in charge of bringing on new recruits that, uh, you know, we, we provide that sort of playing field for them in the interview. Like I, I try my best, you know, when I'm talking to somebody in their interview to really sell the company and the culture that I've cultivated on our team, you know, and, and say that, you know, this is, this is why I like working here. And this is what I try to do as, as the person that oversees all of these developers. Like I want to have and I, I want to build that community that people want to be in. I don't want them to just come to work and and you know complete A to B task and, and and you know and that's it. You know I want them to feel like they have a place where they can not only get the job done and, and get paid for it, but also grow professionally and grow personally and and you know uh, benefit from from the company as much as we benefit from their work. 
That's great. My my next question is which is more which is more important, a degree or a portfolio? I, I think the the degree is a lot less important than than it used to be. Um I don't even know when it used to, I guess it at some point was important. I think all these other the things we're calling core skills, how you communicate, your attitude, how many job applications you put out. I think those are becoming more and more important. At um, the last company I worked at, we at one point hired someone who dropped out of high school. The the president, I, I guess, technically dropped out of college. Um, and you know, we also had some great PhD like graduates. But I, I think it's um, not something you want to let limit yourself and. Whether it's your portfolio, your skill set, how you communicate, if you and if you present yourself as someone that you want to work with, and someone where, um, if a really hard problem comes up, there you present yourself as someone who you'd want to be on your team when you're you're solving that problem together. This is a great question. Uh... What are some common mistakes or red flags people who are new to employment must avoid when looking for jobs? So I, oh, I love this one. I really try to look for communication uh, red flags in not, not just like, does this person speak well, but are the employees consistent with what the company is like? And so um, one, one thing that I, always ask to every company I'm applying for is what is the most important thing to the company? The product, the customers, or the employees? There's no wrong answer to that. And and there's pros and cons to every answer to that. But that's that's kind of how I suss out the red flag. Does everybody answer the same thing? Great, because then everybody's on the same page in the company. If everybody answers it differently, that's when you have to start saying, okay, where is it breaking down? Is this something I have to watch out for? How how do how does the company prioritize things? Um, and so figuring out if everyone is communicating well across the company and every, everyone's working towards the same thing, I think is very, very key. And then also just in general work-life balance. There have been so many times where work-life balance is very important to me. And I've I've asked a company and said, hey, so um, do you ever work long hours? Do you ever... Um, do you ever overwork? Do you ever, um, I don't know, have crunch time and stuff? And the one answer that is a major red flag for lots of places is, oh, well, it's a startup, or, well, it is the games industry, or something like that. So that, that just means, yes, there will be crunch time. You will be overworking. Or, well, yeah, you know, we're a core service. Um, and so watching out for those sorts of things to that might just... They're avoiding the question, but also kind of answering it at that point. You you don't want to go to a place that'll make you miserable or that can't communicate well. Yeah, and, that's great. and it Work depends life, there too, because sorry, um, maybe you do want a place where you just just work really hard, and maybe two percent of you want that. So you need to use your own judgment and your own thoughts about what are your red flags, what are you looking for, um, and I think for me it would be. Um, like when I was first coming out of college, I, I would more look for that type of opportunity now uh, less, um, but I would prioritize maybe towards finding people who are relaxed and who are comfortable. And as Cassidy said, like feel comfortable communicating between their team. Um, so, so there's just different things. And in a way, it's, it's up to yourself to think, what are your red flags? And I think Cassidy said something great earlier in the call about coming up with a list of what you're looking for out of your job, what your goals are, and, and sort of map it to that. So I'd like to in invite Tam to speak and ask a question from the panel, for the panel. Uh, I wanted to ask, realistically, for an entry-level applicant, how much leverage can we expect to have for our salary negotiation? All right, so salary negotiation, a very good topic. I would just highlight the fact that it's really good to do some research before you get to that point. 
generally salary negotiation happens at the tail end of the interview process. And so you do actually have some leverage. They've gone from a business perspective, they've gone through all of this work to uh, seek out who they want, want to hire. They've identified you as that person. They like you. They, they have some um, emotional connection to you at this point in time, and they have some business connection to you at some point in time. They don't want to, to kind of start over this process. And so you do have some leverage, uh, believe it or not. Um, it's th- sorry to interrupt you. I just no, I think you're, you're you're totally spot on in that it's not just this company is doing you a favor by offering you employment at our fancy firm. That's that's not it. They've put so much time and energy into hiring you that you're you're not just a blip on their radar. They they want you to join the company at that point, and so you do have leverage there, and you can you can negotiate pretty well. Not necessarily saying, oh, I was hoping for you to double this number, but the worst they can say is no. And and so just fight for yourself and, and say, I was hoping for a higher number, or I've done some research and I think this would be better, or or even use some kind of excuse like, I do have some student loans that I have to pay off, and I was wondering, would you be open to a higher number so that I can do that? Something like that and being honest about it. I've seen that work time and time again, and they won't take that as a fault in you to ask for more. There's a adage about um, hiring a salesperson and how it's like, you want that negotiation to be sort of difficult because you want them out there in the world negotiating on your behalf. So I think you should remove any hangups around, oh, what if at this point, if I ask for another $10,000, they're going to just throw me to the curb. I I think you should be maybe even lean into aggressive on your salary negotiation. It's, it's personal. It's the time where you should really, really be fighting. I I think the best way to get a higher salary increase is to find a different company or to apply for a different job. And to some extent, once you're through this process, when you're applying for junior developer XYZ, the the structure at the company has an idea of what they're able to pay and what they're willing to pay. And they're probably leaning down towards the bottom end of that range. And you can work to come up that range. Um, But I think there's statistics around the best way to get a higher paying job is to find a new job. Um, But definitely do the negotiations. And then secondly, as you're negotiating for higher salary, also negotiate for higher benefits. Maybe that's the time to get two weeks extra paid vacation, um, four weeks, eight, whatever, extra paid vacation. Um, negotiate your benefits up front and also potentially the company that you're interviewing at, if they are smaller, um, it would depend on the company. Maybe a, a large financial company has a lot more wiggle room on salary. Small tech startups may not, but they have more wiggle room on equity. So if that's something that you're, I mean, you should be if you're excited about that company. Um, There's reasons to limit how much value you put on a startup's equity, but do fight and do try to get as much as you can. All right, we have about five more minutes. So some quick fire questions that we can just nail through. Um, would be uh, how important is the design of your resume and do fancy resumes stick out more or is it better to keep it minimal? I I would say that the best course of action at this point in time is to stick to more minimal, uh, really highlighting the fact that uh, there's generally a computer processing uh, script that's going to be running looking for keywords to match it to the job application. So you don't want to add in design elements that will trip up the system. And it's not the most intelligent system. And so you really need to keep um, keep best practices for the ATS system in mind when you are designing your your resume. I think think if you think your resume is... Go ahead, Cassidy. No, no. Keep going. All right, cool. Uh, for the spirit of rapid fire, I, I think if you think your resume is fancy, then that's a problem. You should do the resume that makes sense for you. And maybe other people will think it's fancy, but don't 
try to be fancy. Yeah, if you're not going for some kind of design-driven role, they're not going to care what your resume looks like. They're going to care about the content. So answer is keep it minimal, but make it your own and worry about that ATS system. So there's a lot of questions about selling yourself. Um, and so there's like, what if you're a little shy? Um, what if you're not going through uh, the educational uh, institutions like a normal person or not a normal person, but an expected person where like all these jobs are requiring bachelor degrees, but you're, you've attended a boot camp. How do you market yourself um, with respect to just different experiences than what is expected from uh, the job recruiter? I would just give some generic, it may be like generically applicable to everything advice is that um, practice makes progress. So if there's this big task you're scared of and afraid of, just keep making continual practice at it and, and you'll get better. So keep applying, keep getting those laps in. We'll open it up to one more question. We'll we'll go open it up to Zeep for one more question, and then we'll be ending at one o'clock. Uh, I just want to before we do that, I just want to say thank you so much to uh, Cassidy, uh, Mikers, and Mike, uh, just for sp just spending the time to give back to the community like this. I, I greatly appreciate your all's effort and dedication to the community. Thanks for moderating us, Tony. All right, Zeep, I've invited you. Yeah, as you can hear that I was still um, young, you know, but I want to really get hired by a big company because I feel that I was, you know, kind of ready because I've been doing programming since I was 12 and I've learned a lot. Like, really, I want to, can a 16 years old get hired by a big company? Thank you. I'm, I think, I'm not sure I if think I... anybody so he, he's wondering if someone his age can can be hired and I, I think you can. Uh, I think most people of, of many different ages can be hired by big companies, but there's also legal requirements. And so below a certain age, you might not be able to be eligible to be hired. And so that's where I would take on some contracting roles and, and some freelancing stuff because uh, legality is, is, I think, the only thing that might get in your way if you are trying to be hired under a certain age. That's great quick fire answer, Cassidy. I, I would actually just lower your expectations a bit, like probably not, or probably those companies are gonna look shy of you. I think you're asking to boil the ocean, get a job at a company that, as Cassidy said, has tons of legal teams, has all these sort of limitations on themselves because they're so large and by putting yourself up there as a, a younger person you're gonna have more difficulty i think you're gonna have a lot more success in the short term at smaller more flexible companies and then at a 18 at a 20 at a 25 have no problem getting a job at a larger company but still try still try to get those internships and maybe reach out to a bunch of those larger companies and ask them directly. And that can open the door down the line to building relationships. Yeah, and one I, last thing too, you can also start your own company and see if it can get acquired because I've known some young developers who end up doing that and that's been their foot in the door. Um, it's harder than that. it sounds, but that. it's possible. <laughs> Definitely. That's cool. Yeah. Because, I mean, just to bring it back around, it's not about the age necessarily. It's about the experience that uh, the companies are going to be looking for. So, all right. Well, it's one o'clock. And so I just wanted to uh, give Good Burger Mike uh, a wave goodbye. He is off to a meeting. Uh, Cassidy has a nice extra surprise for you all listening. Uh, Cassidy, you want to tell him about your stream? Hey, everybody. So um, I'll drop a link in the discussion and then we can drop it in resources as well. But uh, I live stream every Thursday and uh, do kind of office hours and Q&A. And so if you have more questions like this, I'd be happy to continue answering them. And I stream every Thursday um, and it's at 2.30 Central Time, 12.30 Pacific Time, late at night Europe time. <laughs> but uh, I'd be happy to continue answering your questions on Thursday if you have them. So awesome.
All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We hope that um, you will join us for our next one. If you will take just a moment to go back to the resources and give us feedback, please, please, please take a few moments of your time to fill out the Get a Job and Interactive Discussion Post Survey. It's five questions. Only three of those are required. Um, and then if you have some qualitative feedback for us, uh, you can give us feedback to your heart's content. Um, like I said, stick around, uh, check out announcements for our next one. And uh, just, again, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for Thanks, having everybody. us. This was fun. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. Thanks.